0: Um, I had a, uh, a Zoom meet with some leaders in Australia yesterday, and uh, we talked a lot about you know where we were in our spaces and places, and it made me realize that many of you, as we are searching and moving forward with our vision, that a lot of you haven't been a part of the journey of the church from where we've come from to where we are today. So I thought I'd start this morning's sermon a little bit around for those of us who have been here the whole time, reminding you of where we've come from, for those of you who have not been with us that long, to get a glimpse of where we have come from. We moved from Lower Hutt Baptist Church that was located in uh, the middle of Woburn, in a beautiful little suburb, in a beautiful building that we outgrew, and there wasn't much space to move or to grow in that area. And the church made an incredible decision to move into this building. And this building was nothing like you see it today. Nothing like it. When they moved in, it was a bit of a mess. Everyone remember the Opalina food court? Remember the leaking buckets out the front? Uh the auditorium with a wall down the middle of it, the flickering right lights that if you came here at night, was quite freaky. it looked like a horror movie scene and you couldn 't hang out downstairs because remember the echo <laughs> The echo whenever we kind of hung out downstairs, it echoed because it was all tiled. We had sales signs from you know people who were selling stuff it was it was Pretty interesting space. For, we moved here in 2008. In 2016, we pretty much looked like this. We had just embarked on a major change to the frontage. It was our first real major work on the building. The hole at the front, I don't know if you can see from this picture, but the hole at the front was a temporary measure for five or six years. And that was us. We had this dream of becoming a hub, a space and place where community could happen. And for uh, eight years, we struggled with trying to make that happen. We tried some things. I'm gonna offend some people, but I can only tell you what I know. We tried a venture with a cafe. It's called The Anchorage. That ended in a lot of acrimony people angry at each other. It was supposed to be a joint venture with other churches. It didn't end very well. There was a lot going on. But God was gracious, we were growing. And so from 2016, things began to change. The frontage was changed. It was fascinating going through that process because I arrived in the middle of it, literally what it was looking like there on the left. And our ops team didn't want any notices or signs at the front telling us we were a church. They said, oh, that would will, that will discourage vendors or, or retailers to come in and rent the place. And I said, what are we, a covert church then? Do, do we hide and pretend we're not what we are? It's interesting, the two that really fought not to have our name out the front are not in our church anymore they would have dictated how we would have looked. The inside changed as well. The auditorium that we're in today. It only took asking one person, Grant Malloy, and asking him, what can we do? The guy's a genius. In the space of less than a month, he came up with a plan that we were holding on to for years. Could have resolved it if we just tapped his shoulder. And we got the auditorium. These carpet tiles, free. We didn't pay for one of these carpet tiles. Thanks to Grant and Johnny Groves and a few others, we went dumpster diving. Everyone's like, oh, really, Rob? (laughs) We had them all laid out with hair dryers and fans to dry them out because they'd gotten soaked because a fire alarm had gone off and, and the water... The, uh, the fire tap things. They all spread water everywhere. They got, like, I can't even speak anymore. Um, it got drenched and the insurance company just ripped them out. They were brand new and threw them away. And we got them and we dried them and then we scraped all the old glue off the back. Our logos changed quite a bit. Initially we had this very stoic uh, kind of executive look for our, our, our logo to another one that kind of had a bit more colour to one that we have embraced today that tells a story. Other things have changed. Uh, a Big plan of church upside down, remember that, guys? We used to have all our ministries upstairs. A lot of what happened in this church happened up here and we rented out everything out the front because that's where we could make money. But then people really couldn't tell that there was a church. I remember my first couple of months walking down High Street, going into a cafe down at Buzz and getting to know the people there. And you know, he just said, oh yeah, 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 that church, it's a a small church, isn't it? You're about 50 odd people there, right? And I'm like, no, no, try maybe five, six times an amount. And he's like, what, where are you? really you're that big and I'm like well there's one in in the bus cafe we had about four or five of our people there and he's like oh my goodness I said yeah that's because we're at the back no one sees us so we came up with a vision of church upside down Reddings came in and took over the whole kind of back area we took over the front area because if that's how a hub's going to work people need to know that we're here that we exist around 2019 Bronnie Pode who was the chair of our elders and myself we sat down and we had kind of started this whole process, the whole downstairs was remodeled completely, you know in the space of four years we as a church raised three quarters of a million dollars it's extraordinary in the space of six years we've halved our mortgage almost In 2016, we were very close to the amount that we actually originally got that mortgage for eight years previously. In eight years, we barely touched it. In six years, we've almost halved it. It's amazing. But then in 2019, we thought, okay, 2020, what a great way to launch the next phase of who we are, 2020 vision. No one told, told us that COVID was coming. How many prophets are out there that keep telling us that the world's going to end, that we're going to get these major earthquakes? How did they not see that COVID was coming? (laughs) Where are these prophets? I've had all these people come to me talking to me about comets and planets out in the Kuiper Belt and all these other prophecies, the Hickorynge sub thing's going to crack and we're all going to drown. You didn't see COVID? We had this vision of activating. Now we have got our spaces into place. We need to activate. We need to use these spaces. We need to get out there. We need the community to see that we are here for them. We're here to share the love of Jesus. We're here to see his kingdom come. And then March 2020, we will shut down. And everything changed. gracious support of our church that literally got us through that period of time financially. You guys have stuck with us as we've worked through what has been a very difficult time for all of us. Over the course of the last two years, or actually since 2019, we've been wrestling with what does church now look like? And COVID has kind of exasperated that, hasn't it? It's changed everything. And so as the eldership of the past year and a half, you know, we lost Bronnie last year. We lost Steve. Impacted us incredibly. And so the eldership have come together and how do we, what do we look, how do we, we've talked about this, we've been engaging with you about this. What does church next look like and some people have asked me why are you calling a church next and I said because church before doesn't work it's not working people have changed things have changed we are far more polarized as a nation as a community we've got a lot more anxiousness anxiety, depression a lot of us are just tired How do we as a church speak into that? How do we engage in that? And for so long, we've been talking about what can we do when the question we should be asking is, who should we be? And that's where the idea of rhythms. How do we get Jesus back into our lives? How do we center him in what we do? Church Next isn't a major plan to revamp the whole building again. It's a major plan to revamp us. To get our eyes back to our first love. Not the community, not the world, Jesus. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this. Do you know Jesus. Do you know him? Many of us here have been Christians for a very long time. Many of us here have kind of taken it for granted what we believe. Some of us here have challenged yourselves and each other about what is it that we truly believe. Good questions. But the question I want to ask you is do you, do you really know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? In Psalm 23, we all hear this, we've heard this, not just in churches, we hear it in movies. You know, even though I I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But who knows what the next verses are? Say it out. Yep. It's the role of a shepherd, isn't it? We always think that the, the staff is for the sheep and the rod is for the wolves, you know, the shepherd beats off. You know, the, the shepherd used both the rod and the staff on the sheep as well. We call Jesus our shepherd, but what does that actually mean? We're okay with the staff, we're not okay with the rod. Or actually, many of us are not even okay with the staff. Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do or how to do it? I've struggled of recently, of late, of understanding what my role is here. Do you know what my title is here? Anyone know? Anyone know where the word pastor comes from? Yeah, Italy, yeah, pastor, yeah, you're funny. Where's the rod? Come on. (laughs) Pastor is a Latin word for... Shepherd. Now, do you really want me to be your shepherd? Yes. <laughs> so long as I don't use a rod or a staff, what's my purpose? But let's go deeper than that. What's Jesus's purpose in your life? Let's put Rob aside. Where, where, where does Jesus fit in for you? Is he truly your shepherd? Because from day one that he arrived on this planet, he arrived in a way that none of us expected. And even to this day, we tried to make it really cool looking. The manger scene and the kid with the little halo, looks like a space helmet thing around his head. The serene environment, those of you, well, ladies who have given birth, there's nothing serene about giving birth, right? You look at Mary in those pictures, you think, man, that woman got pretty cool very quickly. And there's, you know, Joseph with his staff just hanging there. They were born, Jesus was born in the equivalent today of our garage. While the family hung out in the house, rejecting them. And in the garage, the pets are all hanging out. The little box of the kitty doesn't smell too good. While the family is feasting in the house, Mary and Joseph are in the garage. And the only people they chose to share the birth of Jesus was with shepherds. Contrast Jesus' birth to his cousin, John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was born, it was proclaimed as a miracle. Elizabeth, who wasn't able to give birth, gave birth. The whole of Israel questioned, who is this man going to be? The miracle of John the Baptist's birth, Jesus' birth, off to the side somewhere in some lowly garage in some little town. And the shepherds, let's think about the shepherds for a moment. We have this glorified view today of shepherds. In the first century, the shepherds had a very bad reputation. You know how bad their reputation was? They weren't permitted beyond the outer courts of the temple. They could only go as far as the outer courts of the temple. You know who else was not permitted to go beyond the outer courts of the temple? Women and Gentiles. That's the place of the shepherd in Jewish society in the first century. Jesus chose to celebrate his birth with them. And not only that, to be recognized as one of them. Who is this Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? You know, up until the 1990s, Bible colleges wouldn't allow uh, students to have facial hair. You had to be clean shaved. And I remember when I went to Bible college, I had a goatee and the principal of my college, and we were considered a progressive college. He looked at me and he made this comment. He said, Rob, you know, you can't trust a man with a mustache. You know what was behind him? A big portrait of Jesus, guess what he had? Do you think we've lost it when it comes to knowing who Jesus is? That's Bible college, they should know better. Facial hair. You know, we know Jesus as well as we know the Bible. And as well as we know the Bible, we're very selective about what we really want to know. We pick and choose out of the Bible what we like to hold on to and discard the rest. The Sabbath is a great example of this. The Bible gives so much about what the Sabbath means. You know, it began on a Friday night and ended on a Saturday night. But for some unbiblical reason, we changed it to Sunday. Fine, let's change it to Sunday. But the concept of the Sabbath is not to come and worship God and go to church. The concept of Sabbath is rest. Rest. To stop. Sure, worshiping is not a bad thing. Coming together in prayer to God during that time is not a bad thing. They are supplemental to the command to rest. Not go to church. The Jews of the first century didn't necessarily go to the synagogue on the Sabbath because the command explicit was to rest, to stop what you're doing. What about foot washing? Jesus himself commands us to footwash each other. That's awkward, huh? Um, when I was at power, we had a missionary. She was in Puerto Rico. An elderly woman, she'd been there for a number of years. She, she taught at this orphanage for deaf kids. There's amazing stories that came out of it. And she was tied to a church there. We supported her down at Apawa. But when she left there, when she finished her term to come back to Christchurch, the church brought her forward, sat her down. The elders got down on their hands and knees and washed her feet. She said it was embarrassing, awkward, but deeply moving. It was their way of saying thank you. Now, look, foot washing back in the first century was pretty nasty stuff they don't have foot cream like they have today or showers their roads were very dusty and a lot of animal junk over there so washing feet back then would have been eh. oh but Rob you know that was then, this is now things have changed oh that's a wonderful dragon to pull out isn't it what has changed, why has it changed what's replaced it what about miracles? <laughs> For us Baptists, this is touchy. But let me just challenge you on this. Matthew ten seven says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And we're all like, yes, go out there, evangelize. But we never look at the next verse. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those of le-. Have, Has anyone raised the dead lately? Freely you have received, freely you give. Jesus here is just saying, dude, go do this. Go share the good news, and while you're doing it, do this. Oh, that's awkward. We're more comfortable with verse 7. Verse 8, we'll just leave that to somebody else. And unfortunately, some people are all about verse 8, not about verse 7, so it works both ways. And the last thing, I'm just picking just a few little things out of this Bible... That we choose to believe or not believe. Just kind of like what we do with Jesus. You know, the whole point of false witness is huge in the Bible. There's more about false witness than there is about sexuality. There's more about false witness than there is about pretty much anything else in the Bible. From the Madrash, the Jewish Madrash, the, the false witness included gossip, lying, misrepresenting people. And why is it today that we Christians are so attracted? To conspiracy theories when one of the Ten Commandments tell us do not bear false witness do you know Jesus do you know Jesus do you know who he is who is he for you because if I ask each and every one of you we'll all have a different view of Jesus Thomas Paine was one of the founding fathers of the US, you know, those guys with George Washington and all them, he made this comment, he said, no religion could truly be divine which has in its doctrine uh, that offends the sensibilities of a little child. And I keep thinking maybe he has never heard of the cross before. Because boy, the cross offends even an adult human being. I remember as a kid... My parents, unfortunately, uh, didn't think I was a good kid. I was at a primary school, public primary school in Sydney, and I'd, I think I'd run away several times. I'd stolen a couple of things, and I was only seven, six or seven years old. So my parents thought, you need to go to a good Catholic church, a school, they'll put you in line. And I remember going into that church. The church's name was Regina Chaley, that was the name of the school, Beverly Hills in Sydney big yellow monstrosity of a building and at the front was Jesus on a cross, scared me that you wouldn't believe as a little kid I'd sit there and look at this Jesus on a cross do we truly know Jesus? you know his reputation was incredible when he first came on huh? absolutely incredible they called him a, tr- a troublemaker, they called him a drunkard, a rule-breaker, a glutton. He owned nothing, he hung out with prostitutes <laughs> and, and tax collectors. The, the, the religious people of the day didn't like him. In fact, they worked to get rid of him because he was just turning things upside down. Today, he's even more popular than ever, you know that, right? Right? He's been on The Simpsons, he's been on Family Guy, he's been in TVs and movies. He's been in all sorts of things, 22 times on the front cover of Time magazine. He's been even on the front cover of Popular Mechanic. I guess he was a carpenter, right? I don't know. He's the most requested tattoo. People have t-shirts with him. I saw a t-shirt with Ben Affleck. It said, Jesus is my homeboy. He's the most common curse. If you miss a golf putt, you know what? You yell out. You don't yell out, oh, Mahatma Gandhi. If, if His name is the first one that comes out. If you're a, a laborer and you hit your thumb, he's more popular today than ever, but, but do we really know him? Do we know Jesus? I'm going to challenge you this morning to think a little bit differently of Jesus. We like to think of Jesus as this loving, embracing person. God. Jesus is love. But there's more to it than just that. Because love, as we define it, a little bit different, by the way. God defines it. Jesus never wrote a book, never painted a picture, never composed a song. He never really left the small area that he was born in. He didn't go on a, a tiki tour around Europe. He never left that small area, and I think somebody defined it. I heard someone define it. It's like between Wellington and Thai Happy. <sighs> Apart from maybe a little bit of a jaunt to Rarua, which was Be Egypt, when he was a baby, he was more interested in Israel than in the one empire that was gluttonous, that was awful and evil. The Romans, my ancestors, were horrible people self-absorbed, self-obsessed, evil, and he chose not to say a word about them. He focused on Israel. He was more worried about the petty uh, you know, uh, guys at the table trying to profit off other Israelites than he was about the empire of Rome. He taught obedience, but he was known as a lawbreaker. He was the embodiment of love, but he rebuked harshly. Poor old Peter copped it a couple of times. And he held, and this is something that I don't think we tend to understand, but he held uncompromising views. He held very strong, uncompromising views. Do you know Jesus? I'm going to give you three very simple Small things just to chew on, to challenge you this week in maybe rethinking a little bit about more of who this Jesus is. First of all, he is the invisible. This is something that we need to actually grasp. Jesus is the image of God. The uh, interesting word here in Colossians 1.15, it says, Jesus is the image. Image in Greek, the Greek word is icon. Jesus is the icon of God. What you see in Jesus reflects the Father. He is the icon of God. I think we tend to lose grasp of that sometimes, and we separate God, and sure, we've got this whole Trinity thing that's very hard to explain, don't get me wrong. But Jesus is literally the image of the Father. He is the icon of the invisible God. God so that's the first thing we need to grasp while we don't like to we like to separate them into their roles which is absolutely right the spirit is the one that convicts us Jesus is all about love God the Father is all about judging but they are an image of each other there's also another thing about Jesus the narrow he says this enter through the narrow gates for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it Jesus is really all about the narrow we Christians like to have the broad avenue of acceptance and allowing you know let's just let things happen let's just work this out we can get there and Jesus is like uh uh-uh. uh many will like to go down that road but it's all about the narrow one Remember that uncompromising views? It's a narrow road. And he he goes even further. No one, no one can know the Father without Jesus. When people tell me there are all these ways of getting to God, I, I, I read this and I think, well, that's not what Jesus says. It's only through him. Now, if we want to argue in this life or the next, I have no idea. All I know is, it's only Jesus. Uncompromising. There is no leeway here. There is no sidestep. There is no alternative path. Only through Jesus. It leads us from the narrow to the next word, the way. He is invisible. He is a narrow And this is even more challenging. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus isn't just a narrow road, there is only one direction His direction. There is no, uh, you know, you can go back now. It's all one way his way and he doesn't compromise on this he says this whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it we've interpreted this as like let's go out and evangelize and if we get martyred then hey hey we're doing great no that's not what this is about it's not about going out and and doing that he's talking about following him And you know what? Following him takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of personal distress at times, and you lose a lot of friends. Believe me, try being a pastor. Not, not pastor, pastor. you just got to see the reactions people have when they you, know, you say you're a pastor. I've told you last week, people think I'm a bouncer. I'd, I'd go, I'd, you know, sometimes I say, yeah, yeah, I'm a bouncer. people, they find out you're a pastor, it shuts down the conversations. you on a plane, the person that sits next to you, I had several times, oh, so what do you do for a living? Yeah, I'm a pastor. Like, church thing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Long flight for them. But, you know, if you think he's just saying it once, let, 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 let me just reiterate what he says about this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He's not talking about mission trips. He's not talking about going out and proselytizing and sharing the word of God. He's talking about you giving your life up for him full stop. And if you didn't get it from those two verses, let me give you a third verse. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or even fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit an eternal life. Now, if those three don't work, let me give you a fourth one. In the same way, those who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Bang, 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 bang. Do you know Jesus? It's a tough word, isn't it? That's the thing about Jesus. He loves us enough for us not to be comfortable in the spaces we're in. He loves us enough to not just let us sit happily and content in our nice little boxes. Remember last week's sermon? God in a box. Sorry for those of you who missed it online because the audio was out. My fault. You can hear it on the podcast though. You can't put Jesus in a box. He wants you to break out of that. And he wants your all. Every single last bit of you. You know, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? When, when Jesus was teaching, dude, this is what it takes to follow me. Oh, you know what they did? From this time on, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. He was so heartbroken. that He turned to his, his own small group and he said, you guys want to leave me too? He didn't run after him and tried to make it easier for him. He didn't go back and, and sugarcoat things. He challenged him. And he said, this is it. The bread I give you is a hard eat. <laughs> it requires everything. He is the invisible, the image of the Father, he is the narrow. He wants us to walk a very narrow path. And he is the way. There is no compromise. He is it. And for all those who have gone before us, they're not remi- You, You might have built the best house. You might have got the great job. You might have the best education. But at the end of the day, we all end up in the same ground. The great... Leveler of life. Kings and queens end up in the same earth as the poor and neglected. Jesus is everything. He's bigger than COVID, He's bigger than our politics, and He wants everything of you. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And I'm going to challenge you this morning, how many of you are still holding on to that old life? Many of you have grown and been raised in churches. You've done what your parents have done. You've gone to youth group. You've stayed here for years, but you have not gotten to know who this Jesus really is. Today, I want to challenge you. For four years I've broken as much as I could to make this building right if you want me here for the next four years I'm going to break you as much as I can to make you the people God has called you to be because if you're calling me pastor if that's what you call me then I am the shepherd That makes it very uncomfortable, doesn't it? Even as a Baptist up here, I'm having a hard time saying it. Because we Baptists are what? The pastor's just the first of all equals, isn't he? Or isn't she? It's challenging. It is challenging. but as much as this building needed to change today I think it's us because the world is turned away from Christianity the world is turning further and further away you know why? they don't trust us they see us no different to the many people they know they don't see Christ in us do they? The challenge and this is not Rob because I'm not going to do this I'm not going to get a rod and staff and come after you that's not what this is about and nor does Jesus want to come after you with a rod and staff hey the question is would you allow him to if he did Uh, is there an area in your life that maybe rather than the staff you might need a bit of a rod You know that better than anyone else here. You know that better than me, than yourself. You know it. In what areas of your life do you need to surrender to Jesus, wholly and completely, and allow Him to reign in your life? Not the Jesus that you might have been told. You need to go back to those Gospels and read them all over again. And Jesus did this wonderful thing. He didn't just give us one gospel. He gave us four, just so that if we couldn't get it in one, we can go to another one. If we can't get in that, we can go to another one. He gave it to us four times, just so that let us sink in who he is. Go back. Read up on him. Don't just listen to what I'm saying up front here or what other people have told you about who this Jesus is. I want to challenge you this morning. (laughs) Amen. Talking to these guys yesterday, one of them said to me, Hey Rob, I mean, isn't it important that we we have these positive sermons, you know, so people can feel uplifted to live. I'm like, have you ever read about Jesus? (laughs) Sometimes yes, the positive message is important, but sometimes we've got to stop and say, Hang on a second. This is actually a matter of life and death your well-being is far more important for me to be blasé about it. Your well-being, your spiritual walk, our spiritual walk is far more important than being nice about it. We need to be challenging one another. We need to be holding each other accountable. We need to be confronting each other at times. And we need to be holding each other, caring each other, laughing, crying, all of that with each other. And if we're not honest about where we're at here and now, what's the point? What's the point? I asked the music team to come up. I've got to stop because I could go on forever. I asked the music team to come up. The hardest thing in the world for me is to be up here talking to you. But what you don't see in the background is, I spend quite a lot of time looking in the mirror. And my biggest question has always been, who the heck do you think you are, Rob, to say these things? I'm not kidding you when I am being challenged by what it is, is that my role is here. What am I doing here? You know, being a leader is easy. I know what to do. I've got to fix this place. I've got to do that. I've got to run this. But the deep spiritual elements of our lives What changes your life is not a building. It's Jesus Christ. And so when I look in the mirror and question myself, there is nowhere else I can turn to but Jesus. I want you to feel that way. To turn to him and allow him to mold you and shape you. After the service just in the corner here if you just want some prayer our teams will be down here to pray over you you don't have to come up for prayer you can turn to the person next to you and ask them to pray over you you could just sit quietly You, you don't need the blessing of others though it is helpful to know that there is someone with you Father God thank you for your son Jesus the image of who you are of our Father Our identity is in you, Jesus. It has to be wholly and solely in you. Challenge us, I pray, as your community, as your children, as your people, to be the icon of Jesus to our community and to each other. Whether that be with a staff or a rod, whether it's in the valley or on the mountaintop, Challenge us, Lord. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. Allow us to look within. Open our eyes. And see what your love truly means. It's this in your name, Jesus. The Stand.